Over the last 10 days or so, we've offered a number of different ways of being with the breath. We talked about noting and counting and the parts of the breath, breath, being with the breath in different ways through the whole body. Can you hear, Brooke? Is it okay? Um, all of these are highlighting the jhana factors, jhanic factors of vitaka and vichara that I spoke about the other night, where we're really arousing intention and using effort, basically, to connect with the breath and, and then con- provide some continuity, sustain our attention with the breath. As I said, so important not that we try to connect at the beginning of a sitting and sustain for the whole period, but we do this moment after moment, but it still does require intention and effort, all of these different techniques that we've offered. The challenge or the balance is how much intention and how much effort To begin our practice, I always think it's a little bit like getting a locomotive going, those old steam engines where you had to stoke a fire, and once the fire built, it heated water, and then the steam would start the pistons going or whatever it was that drove that engine, but it takes time. But once that huge thing is moving smoothly on railway, I can never say that, railroad tracks, It doesn't require as much effort, right? So this is the art of meditation. When do we apply effort and intention towards, uh, with, with a sense of what we're cultivating, with a sense of what's being developed, what our intentions are in a larger sense around our practice, and where can we just settle back and let the practice become almost effortless, if not completely effortless. Supporting that end of the practice are the skillful means that we've spoken about, about shifting our relationship to the breath. If we think the breath is boring or dull or repetitive, we're not going to be able to rest the attention there. It'll always be looking for something more interesting. So I spoke about subhasanya, beautiful perception, uh, Ajahn Brahm would talk about the beautiful breath. Tanasaro Bhikkhu would talk about making the breath more pleasant or more comfortable, not with any big shifts or agenda, but just this subtle perceptions about the breath. So some of them can be deliberate. I spoke about these um, supportive uh, perceptions like the breath like silk or a breeze or a a gentle wave on the beach, cat purring. We can use these to kind of bring a sense of delight and these other jhanic factors of piti and sukha. We can't will them into being, but as we open to this possibility of uh, finding the breath pleasant, letting the attention rest there because it's drawn there, because it's happy there, This is when these other factors can come into play. So it's all about skillful means. 
all about what's needed in the moment, what would help move in the direction of the attention just resting with the breath, drawn magnetically to the breath with a kind of effortless knowing. Again, we can't make that happen, but we can use these different skillful means, and it's up, for, up to each of us. When do we use the different ones? When do we just uh, stay with very simple noting or counting? When do we invite more intentionality around the perception of the breath? When would it help to bring a little uplift through some of these beautiful perceptions of the breath? But with all of these skillful means, ultimately we want to let them go. Whatever they are, we want to let them go and come back into the simplicity of being with the breath, receiving the breath, with this direct knowing, with as little interference as possible. So this movement through, as I described in my talk, more energetic ways of being with experience. All of the Buddhist maps around meditation tend to have this kind of arc, more energy in the beginning, peaking with some uh, heightened experience, but then calming, calming, uh, concentrating, equanimity. So we can feel this in our practice, even over a sitting. We might come in and feel a little restless or dull, so we invite some of these skillful means. But after 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever length of time, we let them go. And we just settle into what's the simplest perception of the breath that we can have. Where is there even stillness in that perception of the breath? Stillness of the breath itself as it becomes more subtle, or stillness in the knowing of the breath, or stillness in the way you rest your attention where there's sometimes a breath sensations, but even if the breath sensations aren't obvious, the attention is just resting, sustained, effortless, drawn in like magnetic attraction. And there will be times when the hindrances come back with full force. Sometimes as we get quieter, the hindrances, especially in concentration, concentration magnifies. So it can magnify these wholesome qualities, the qualities of attention that we've been talking about. Um, But it can also magnify the unwholesome qualities, the hindrances. So they can come in like a storm, like that rainstorm we had yesterday where we went from beautiful clear weather to wind and rain. They can just sweep in. We are not in control of whether they come or go, but how we relate to them determines how much disturbance they create. The less we're disturbed by the hindrances, the more willing we are to work with them skillfully, the more easily that natural settling can happen. So this is the art of this practice. The the, um, practice itself is so simple, but as the Buddha said, all of the four foundations of mindfulness are developed in this practice. All of the seven factors of awakening are developed. 
everything is here as we just sit and breathe. So we use our skillful means, we're responsive, we're interested, but we're also kind and compassionate. We don't try to force our attention to the breath or try to be anywhere other than where we actually are coming back to the simplicity of this practice, sitting and breathing. So with that, I'll just let you unfold your practice as best suits where you are right now. All of the skillful means we've offered, ones you may know for yourself, but developing this confidence that you can meet where the mind, body, and heart are right now with kindness, with interest, and with continuity.
So again, continuing to develop your practice today as best supports the conditions that you have, your mind, your body, energy level, mindfulness level, continuity level. It's a responsive practice. It's an engaged practice. And the art of it is, as I keep saying, how to do it with the lightest of touches. Of course, when we need more uh, intentionality, we can bring that. But ultimately, this resting back, effortless knowing of the breath or whatever is your focus. And so the same with the walking. Hopefully over these days, you've developed a way that you can bring together the walking and the breath and find, you know, it flows sometimes just simply with the walking. And that's great. There's enough Um, We can continue developing the continuity of mindfulness with the sensations of walking. But the more we can bring the breath into the foreground so that this through thread of connection to the breath, this will allow this uh, continuing deepening and the magnetic pull. It becomes another conditioned factor in the mind, just resting with the breath. And looking at, um, it's so easy to not do walking. As we've said, it's not on the schedule. Um, And there are so many lovely walks to do in the forest, on the trails, on the road. And again, that's great. Sometimes the best thing to do is to go for a walk and, and let the energy pick up a little or be buoyed by the beauty of the nature around. But the formal walking practice is so helpful of supporting this continuity of mindfulness. So look at your schedule, look at what's being developed and how you can best develop and balance these factors that we continue to talk about. So a few minutes if there are any questions this morning. Yes, John. Well, on the subject of walking meditation, um, we're used to in the Vipassana tradition slowing down in service of mindfulness. But um, I was working under a teacher who had studied with Paolo who um, maintained that very definitely real slow walking meditation was harmful to deepening concentration hmm. practice. And um, I know that Theravada monks are, seem to be discouraged from ever running or doing anything vigorous. I'm used to a lot of exercise, and yesterday I didn't really felt the need, so I took a vigorous walk down the hill and back up, and my body just loved, you know, working a little bit. Right. And I was anxious to see if that would be detrimental to my concentration afterwards. It seemed to be the reverse. Mm. It seemed to help. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm curious to know what you have to say about, I mean, Powell himself, I don't think, incorporates walking meditation officially. So let me just repeat, Um, John is saying that normally in Vipassana meditation, the instruction is to slow down to really develop the continuity of mindfulness with the sensations of the walking, but he was working with a teacher who was a student of Pauk who said that slowing down was, what was the word you used? It was quite strong. Um, She said, don't do it. Don't do it. (laughs) Detrimental, basically, to concentration, that really slowing down was detrimental, but that he felt 
sometimes a need to actually do some vigorous exercise because he's used to doing that. So he did that yesterday, uh, did a vigorous walk, was interested to see how that affected his, his concentration, and it seemed to actually help to have done that. So what's, what's my view? And does Pauk incorporate walking meditation in his schedule? Guy, do you, is it officially in the schedule at the monastery? I don't remember. <laughs> he doesn't remember. There were definitely, uh, people were definitely doing walking meditation. There was a clear schedule for the sittings. There are eight hours of sittings a day. The shortest one was do you want to? If you're going to stay anything, you put you. Are people here? Um, in terms of the schedule of Pauxiodals, there were um, clear uh, outlines for sittings which were required in the beginning. Once Sayadaw got a sense of your trustworthiness, you could sort of construct your own schedule. But in the beginning, one was required to attend the group sittings, which added up to eight hours a day. The shortest one was an hour and a half. And then you could extend from there. So I believe there were walking periods on the schedule in between the scheduled group sittings, but I can't swear to it. But that's what people were doing. Where I was living was the male part of the monastery. Monks were definitely doing their walking practice in between. There was not an emphasis on slow, for sure. But how, how fast were they doing it? Just... Uh, the people that I observed were a little slower than normal pace, and maybe a gear down from that, yeah. but not the super slow lift-move place model that Mahasi Sayadaw and Upandita taught, which really is based on observing closely the sensations in the feet particularly, and there's even a six-part walking meditation in that style because people can observe more than just lift, move, place. And the point of the slowness and the level of detail in that approach is to build up concentration in doing Vipassana practice. But because in the Pauk system you're supposed to be with the breath all day, that level of detail on the feet was kind of irrelevant and might take too much attention away from the breath. So it's like, be normal in the walking um, uh, with the body, because the emphasis is on uh, the breathing. And that's what I was going to say, too, that in the style that we've practiced in, which blends a a few influences, I tend to slow down a little, that kind of... So it's a measured pace, but it's not the doesn't have to be the very slow pace because the emphasis is on the continuity with the breathing. As far as bringing some energy in to some vigorous walking, I'm, you know, I'm also an exerciser, John, so I know what you mean. And my question would have been, what happened afterwards? Because that's the main thing. We do something to see if we balance energy and we need to be honest with what the result was. Did it bring more steadiness and the ability of the body to come into stillness, or did it stir things up? And if you found that it actually benefited the concentration, that's your, that's your um, answer right there. Again, what, the thing that I caution, though, is something that works at cer- a certain point in the retreat, we can then just keep doing it. 
and it's actually no longer productive. The quieter we get, sometimes bringing up that kind of energy is disturbing. But because we like it, we just keep doing it or we don't take in that information. So you have to keep checking. What's the level of energy I need to bring to actually fulfill the greater intention, which is this continuity and subtlety with the breath also, as I keep you know, they've been talking about the resting. So you have to keep checking in. You know, you can kind of devise a schedule in the first few days. And then it actually isn't that supportive anymore, the things you've chosen to do. So you need to adjust it. So that's the other thing I would, you know, as we quieten things that I might do in the first week or so of the retreat, as I settle in, aren't so supportive anymore. So just keep checking. Yeah, thanks. Okay, so another day. I was thinking, I was just, as I was sitting here, what day is it today? What do I need to announce? I had to track. It's Friday, so that means there is a Dharma talk tonight, and I think that's the only announcement, right? Well, just that this will be the last formal day on concentration on breath. Do they need to know that? I guess so. (laughs) So, Guy is saying, I was sort of doing an overview this morning. It's actually our 10th day here. Um, and that's basically what we plan to do uh, with the focus on the breath meditation. So tomorrow, or even tonight, Guy will do a talk on metta and the Brahma Viharas and we'll start including that as part of our practice tomorrow. And as I spoke the other night, you may have already been doing that, which is wonderful. But uh, starting tonight, And from tomorrow on, we'll talk more specifically about including the Brahma Viharas. It doesn't mean, you know, you do 180 degrees and you stop breathing. You're going to keep breathing, and we want to keep paying attention to the breathing. That can be a kind of through thread through this whole retreat in a really skillful way. So we'll talk about uh, blending the practices and, again, finding ways of practicing that work for where you are. But that's, that's coming attractions. Okay, have a beautiful day. <laughs>